Well, good morning. Turn to uh, somebody next to you. If you're in uh, the sanctuary or if you're in room 16 or the loft, uh, turn to somebody next to you and go... It's good with the midnight. Uh, masks are a great challenge, but we're doing what we can to, to help and whatever we can to be a part of that solution. So it's great to have you here today. If you're at home watching right now, hello, welcome, great to see you. We're great to know you're here. I guess I can't see you, but maybe I can. Uh, it's great to be here. So yesterday I received a call <laughs> at 10.30 in the morning from Pastor Seth, and he goes, hey, Kent. <coughs> uh, Pastor Ken and I are ill, and we're not going to probably be available tomorrow. I responded, oh. He said, we would like you to speak. And I responded, oh. He said, it's about murder. <laughs> I said, oh. And he said, it's actually also about anger. Oh. So I assume that that had to be a leading of the Lord for the outline today. So our outline today is, oh. Oh. So we're going to go there together. And uh, much of what I share today is from Pastor Seth. And I just want you to know, uh, he didn't ask me to say this part, but I just want you to know uh, how much I respect him. And uh, we were chatting through what he wanted to, to communicate, because this is the first message in kind of a series of kind of a new way to look at things that Jesus is offering from the Sermon on the Mount. And so he wanted to make sure the foundation was set well. And, uh, and so he, we talked through the sermon a little bit. He goes, I'll send you my notes and you can use what you want. And I just want you to know, uh, Pastor Seth works very hard at putting together his sermons and his notes were fantastic. And so uh, I told him, I said, I'll do my best. You know, I don't know. I don't really preach other people's sermons very well. But uh, I said, you've given me such great information. I kind of worked something around, moved it around a little bit so it fits into my simple brain. Uh, and so I'll do my best to communicate it. But we're so excited really on this Sermon on the Mount series because there's such practical teaching that takes place. And uh, it's awesome. So my outline for today is O. And it stands for obedience is good. The H, heart obedience, is what Jesus calls us to. And then halakha is what Jesus calls it. And right there, you know I'm using his notes because I, halakha, I don't know. Uh, but in talking to him yesterday, oh, it's a phenomenal Hebrew word that carries a lot of truth and weight. And then it ends with the exclamation point, And we'll talk about that at the end. What does that mean? But we live in a world filled with things that make us angry, right? Maybe some of you on the way to church today got angry about something. Somebody wasn't driving right. Somebody was late. Somebody wasn't ready. Some, whatever. So something to get us angry. Yesterday, uh, my son and I Carson, he was driving. He's got his permit and says he loves driving. And so we decided to go drive and run some errands. Then we're going to pick up some food at a restaurant. And uh, we pulled into the drive-thru and he normally isn't driving. And so this is going to be his first time, to my knowledge, of him ordering at a drive-thru. So he was a little bit nervous about that. And so we got in the line. It was one car ahead of us that's near the speaker and another car that had already ordered but wasn't quite cleared from the speaker. You know how that is? It's like, move up, please, so we can order. Well, the car in between us started waving at this car, like, move up, because we couldn't see any cars ahead of him. And it was a long time. It felt like a long time. And so I told Carson finally, I knew he was uncomfortable ordering. So I said, hey, buddy, just pull out. Let's park in a spot. I'll go in and order, and uh, it'll all be fine. 
So he's like, okay. So we pulled around and got in. So I walk in and there's two people in this restaurant. And when I walk in, they finished and they were leaving. So I'm the only one in the whole place out in the eating area. And the guy who was going to take the order was washing tables. And so I just patiently stood there for a little bit. And he turned and he realized, oh, somebody's here. So he went behind the counter, behind the shield. And, uh, and he said, how can I help you? So I said, well, I would like, and in this case, one of the three people that were getting food for wanted a plain chicken combo. And uh, he looks and he goes, uh, okay. What did you want again? <laughs> a plain chicken combo. What do you want on it? <laughs> Nothing. That's why I said plain. Oh. Does that complete your order? I said, unfortunately, no. I have a couple other things I'd like to order. So I finally got the order through. And he said, could I have a name for the order, please? I said, sure, it's Kent. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he goes and he's waiting for the sandwiches to come. So he goes and he, and he gets these fries things, these curly fries, a lot of ministry in those. And uh, they pour them into these two things. He puts them in the warmer. And then he walks away to go get the sandwiches and while he's getting the sandwiches, I'm watching, and the guy from the drive-thru takes our three fries and puts them in an order for the drive-thru. And I'm kind of watching and go, well, that's unfortunate, no big deal. So this guy puts in the bag, he, looks, he walks over, and he gets right next to the area that the fries were supposed to be, and he just stops. <laughs> and he looks at the drive-thru guy and goes, did, did, did you just take these? And the drive-thru guy's like, yeah, I needed them for my order. And he handed the bag out the window. And so I'm watching, there's not another fry in the place. And so he looks and then he slowly goes back here and fills one of those fryers and puts it in. They, they take like 18 minutes, okay? It's, it's really like two, but it felt like 18 because I just watched my fries go out the window. And so I'm standing there waiting and waiting and waiting. Finally, they get done, okay? I'm the only guy in the whole restaurant. And they get done, he bags up my stuff, and no kidding, he looks back, he makes eye contact with me, and I'm, I'm getting a little impatient at this point, a little frustrated, and uh, he makes eye contact on me, and then literally, he looks into the rest of the restaurant, and he goes, order for Kent? <laughs> That's me. Thank you. So, <laughs> unbelievable. So, I was a little frustrated. Now, I certainly wasn't angry. I was frustrated. What makes you angry, a.k.a. frustrated? Are there a lot of things? Are there a few things? What makes you angry? Well, last week we saw that Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
And then after that, he moves on to talk about the destructive patterns in humans. Jesus is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And not only do we need the right laws in place, we also need the right interpretation of that law. And Jesus came to give the correct interpretation of the law. They've been taught by other religious leaders, but Jesus goes, okay, listen, here's the deal. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, picture this, they're up on the hill, on the mountain, and they're listening to this great teacher, and they're very familiar with the Ten Commandments, they're very familiar with the Torah, and they, they were saying, yes, of course we know do not murder. That's one of the Ten Commandments. In fact, my guess is their minds were running so quick, they probably recited the other nine in their head while he's saying do not murder. Oh, yes, and then it's also do these other things. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And so they're going through, they're very, very familiar with it. But then Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you. So you know that this is the foundational truth, but Jesus says, but wait, I say to you, that's got to get there a little bit of their attention. And he is establishing now what was known as the halakha, which is a Hebrew word, which means to walk according to the whole moral code that was put before them. So in other words, pay attention to the details. Do this intently and follow me specifically. Don't just follow guidelines and be obedient, but actually follow me, Jesus says, and do the things I say to do. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus is referring to his interpretation. Now remember, he came to fulfill the scriptures, meaning his teachings and lifestyle are in perfect alignment with the law. Perfect. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus is seen as the fulfillment to the Exodus story. See if these things maybe ring a bell. He is the Son of God called out of Egypt. He passes through water in his baptism. He is tested in the wilderness, and now he expounds on the law on a mountain. And he's saying, look, obedience is good, but I want you to follow me because I'm after something a little more than just clean obedience. It's follow me. I don't know if you've ever played the game, but in, for whatever reason, I was younger, follow the leader was a big deal in school. The classes would do it, and then youth group, we'd do it. And so one of the student leaders would be called to be up front, or one of the volunteer leaders, and they'd say, follow the leader, do everything they do. And if you don't, somebody else is going to say, oh, 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 you're out. And then you try to make it to the end. And so you do all these different things, and normally the leaders would start just kind of normal, and you're just kind of walking around, and then they decided to try to maybe wave an arm, and so everybody behind has to wave their arm, and then they get a little excited, and they go, okay, no, wave both arms, and so you're walking around like this, and, and then every third step, you know, they kick out the left leg, and you just, you're going to do everything they tell you to do. And the illustration is outstanding because we're supposed to follow Jesus and do the things that he does without saying, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that, we do what he calls us to do. And that follow the leader is exactly what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying obedience is good, but heart obedience is what Jesus calls us to. Heart obedience. It's different than just clean obedience. He's saying, look, don't murder. Okay, that's obedience. Absolutely. But he said, what led to murder? 
It's the, being angry, being judgmental, being upset with somebody. He goes, that's what I'm looking to deal with. I'm going to deal with your heart, not just the action. John 10.10 says that Jesus came uh, as, a, as a, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it much more restrictive. Yeah. Okay, we're going to ruin your life. We're going to give you a bunch of rules. No, that's not what the Bible says. You are correct. Have it much more abundant. And so as we follow Jesus and do the things he calls us to do, which is nice, he doesn't make us do weird things and look weird. He makes us do the things that he knows will make a difference for his kingdom. Heart obedience is what Jesus calls us to. In a sense, he's saying, look, you used to ride a bike, but I'm going to teach you how to ride a whole different bike. And it's going to be something that you're going to just absolutely love and feel positive about. I don't know how many of you tried this bike last week or over the uh, some of you, raise your hands. Good, no casts, that's good. Uh, I rode it for like a foot and, uh, and I, I just couldn't get, because the steering is backwards. So if you're new here, this is representing what our series is on, teaching us a whole new way to live according to scripture. And if you want to go right on this, you go to left. And if you want to go left, you turn the wheel right. And if you want to know what that's like without even hopping on it, after the service, if we take it down, just walk it down the aisle. Your shins will get banged because that thing will be turning. So I hear, okay, so I hear. It's difficult to run because it's a different way of looking at things. The same thing is true. Jesus is saying, hey, I've got a different way to look at this. Look, here's the deal. You've heard it said that if you commit murder, you're going to be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. The subject to judgment is the exact same words used as the punishment for murder. Now the people on the hill are going, oh, wait a minute, what did he just say? You know, they're all probably saying, well, I'm not going to murder, I'm not going to murder. I actually heard somebody say that they were thinking not coming to the service today because it was talking about don't murder, and well, I'm never going to murder, so why would I have to come and be told not to murder? Right? I mean, it's kind of the face value of the sermon was that don't murder. But Jesus is saying, no, I want you to go further than that. I want to deal with the anger that's in your heart. So verse 22, whoever is angry is liable to judgment. You're sitting on the mountain, that's a little disturbing. All of a sudden, whoa, that's a little close to home. If I'm angry with my brother, then I'm liable to the same judgment as murder? These words would have shocked his listeners. And that's the point. It would be easy to simply dwell on that, but then Jesus goes further. I really get a kick out of Jesus. And I just think the scriptures are filled with tremendous humor. I really do. I, I laugh a lot when I read scripture. Because here he is, he's like, yeah, and if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to the same judgment. And they're like, <gasps> and he's like, I got two more for you. All right, here we go. Whoever insults his brother is liable to the council. And they're like, what? Insult my brother? And the council was the Sanhedrin, the high priests and priests and the scribes, the most powerful people in Judaism. And then he says, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now they're like, okay, wait a minute. Where are we going with all this, Jesus? What are you talking about? And by the way, the English translation that comes out as you fool is pretty soft. It really literally means more. This is from Seth, okay? I'm not this smart. But it really means if you look at somebody and go, you are worth nothing other than to be sent to hell. What a horrible concept to have or an opinion to have of somebody. And he's saying, look, if you're saying that, then you yourself will be liable 
to the hell of fire. And so he's saying that it's deeper than just not murdering. He's saying, let's look at your heart. What's going on in your heart? J.C. Ryle, the first Anglican bishop of Liverpool, born in 1816, said this, To be born again is, as it were, to enter upon a new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, new affections, new likings, new dislikings, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love to things once hated, new hatred to things once loved, new thoughts about God and ourselves and the world and the life to come and salvation. Did you get it? Following Jesus is new. It's different. It's awesome, but it's different than normally looking at a bike. I can ride that. Well, there's some twists there. Anger is the result simply of not getting what I want. doesn't matter how old or young. It's the same at every age. I didn't get what I want, so now I'm angry. Well, this isn't about what we want, but it's about what God wants. The theme through Matthew 5 through 7 is focusing on the maximum, not the minimum. Some of you are frustrated right now with your walk with the Lord because it just doesn't seem very vital. Uh, Church is hard. We've been through all this COVID stuff. We've been home forever and we're not together. We're kind of trying to worship online, but that's hard because we're at home. And it just, the church seems irrelevant to some people. Well, it could be that you're focusing in only on being obedient and not developing that relationship with the Lord as he calls us to do and riding the bike in a new way. You see, some of these things is we justify our actions too many times. In fact, we really justify our sin. Remember when I talked about that restaurant and I said I was frustrated? Well, that's a much nicer word to share with you than I was angry. Because frustration, well, we all get frustrated. That's no big deal. But really at the heart of it, I was angry. Why was I angry? Because my time was being compromised because they weren't doing the job the way I felt they should be doing it. It's terribly selfish. And it wasn't the right response. Godliness is always inside out. We know that, but that's not often how we ride the bike. So my question to you to start this moment here is a question that we pose to the youth group now every week. And I can say that because we've had one youth group and we posed it to them. (laughs) But we're planning on doing it every week. And that is, kids... What have you done this week to draw closer to Jesus? What have you done? Have you done one thing? Have you been intentional in some way to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Maybe it gets to the point where it's each day. That'd be fabulous. There was a, a, a meme that I saw this morning, actually, and it was two big polar bears laying on their backs. And it looked like in a living room. They're just laying there, so you know it's true. It was on the Internet. And they're sort of laying on their backs, and the one bear looks at the other one and, and says, got any plans for today? And the other one goes, do nothing. The other one says, you did that yesterday. I ain't done. <laughs> so that's probably how we feel sometimes about our walk with the Lord. We've done nothing today to grow closer to Him. Well, what are you going to do today? I don't know. I wasn't done from yesterday. And we just don't do anything. We don't seek the Lord. We don't put, put the, the Word of God into our minds. So I would challenge you, replenish your cup. Remember those cups from Pastor Seth? Are we pouring in? Is there a source of some kind that we're pouring in God's Word? So replenish your cup. Feed your soul. Fill your bucket. Input God's Word into your life. Make spiritual deposits. I don't care how you say it. 
Figure out some way to do it. And then if you get in a, re- a regular habit of doing it, it will benefit you significantly, hugely. I have a guy who worked with the youth group last year who got a hold of me at the end of 2019 and said, hey, would you be my accountability partner this year? I really want to do my devotions every day. I said, well, what do you mean by accountability partner? He said, well, would you contact me every day and just find out for sure that I've done my devotions? And I said, yeah, that sounds kind of fun. I'd I'd love to do that. So it ends up being at about 11 o'clock at night when finally everything's all done. I'll text him. I say, hey, are you, we give our number. Well, we're on day 263 and he has done his, he's sent back, yep, I'm in, I've got it, I'm on track, whatever. And he's been 258 of those 263. Oh, it's so awesome to be a part of that. It's so fun when he sends back, yes. And in fact, that was the highlight of my day. I really needed it. Now, those five days that he's missed, four of those, I didn't follow up with him. Now, it's not, he was gracious, it's not my fault, because he said, I still chose not to do it, but I felt really bad. But what I love to see in that is that he wants that accountability because he knows the power of getting God's word into his life. Somebody once said, what's the big deal about daily devotions? You don't really remember everything anyway. And uh, I love when the person that responded said, well, I don't really remember what I ate for lunch two weeks ago either, but I know it nourished me. So we might not always remember everything, but it does nourish us. So how are you filling your bucket? How are you really seeking after the Lord? But then the Lord, Jesus kind of turns the emphasis a little bit because those first couple of of, uh, verses, he says, but whoever, and that's easy for us to just kind of deflect, right? Whoever, I mean, oh, well, somebody, this must be about somebody else. But then he comes down into verse 23 and he makes it a little more personal. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. So he said, okay, whoever, 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 but now if you are coming and you know that somebody's got something against you, deal with it. So now it becomes about me. It's a heart check. I need to listen in. Here Jesus gives an example of someone about to make a sacrifice at the altar and remembers a brother has something against him. Jesus' words indicate this is so important that it should disrupt our sacrifice to God. Can you say before the Lord today, you know what, I'm in right relationship, and as far as it depends upon me, as it says in Romans, I'm living at peace with all men. Or is there something that God is prompting you to say, hey, deal with this relationship? It's only after I'm right with others, it seems to indicate from Jesus' own words that I can continue my sacrifice. D.A. Carson puts it this way, forget the worship service and be reconciled to your brother and only then worship God. Men love to substitute ceremony for integrity, purity, and love, but Jesus will have none of it. Reconciliation, huge. 2 Corinthians 5.20 is my life verse it says uh, from seven, verse 17, it says anyone who's in Christ is a new creature. The old is gone and the new has come. And then three verses later, it says you are now therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through you, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. Two parties that understand and forgive each other is what reconciliation is. Forgiveness is offered and forgiveness is overlooking the offense and choosing to never bring it up again. Reconciliation is a biblical mandate. 
So if you're harboring something of that nature that is hindering you from full worship of God and the full realization of the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give. It's just biblical. Our staff desires to set that example. We want to model what it looks like to serve well and get along and be reconciled to each other. And we're not perfect by any means. Jordan's on the staff. But we do work together well and, uh, and, and we try. We try to forgive. We try to address things that are of issues and whatnot. Um, once a month, we have a breakfast together and two of the staff work to present it. And so every month, those two change. They get to work together and serve each other. We're regularly asked, how are you? Pastor Seth has committed to meet with each staff person on a regular basis to see how we are doing, not just how are we performing. And we try to talk through misunderstandings, disagreements, and differences of opinion. It happens. It happens even in our staff. But we try to model that as best we can. What are the results? Uh, we get along great most of the time. Your family also has struggles. Our family has struggles. But we have laughter in our staff meetings. We present ourselves rather vulnerable and transparent, trying to curl on ice and falling all over, although some are better than others. Seth and Ken one day called me up and said, hey, we've worked a lot this week and we need a break. You want to go golfing? Oh, I'm just willing to serve. You know, uh, it's awesome. We like to hang out together. Uh, last week, we all pitched in, set up tables, chairs, cleaned up, came early, stayed late, and smiled the whole way through for our kickoff. Yesterday, uh, which was, it was so fun. So I'm working out in the garage with my son-in-law, and uh, all of a sudden, this, this red van drives by, and some person yells out, hey, Kent! And it was just echoing through our neighborhood, which I loved, but I didn't see who it was. I'm like, I don't, I don't know who that was. A couple minutes later, I get a text from Jordan. That was me. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. I loved it. Uh, and so we, we have a lot of fun together. And it's revitalizing to be unified. It's revitalizing to be reconciled together. And just think if the entire church were to say, you know what, let's reconcile. If there's any differences, if there's some sin in my life, if there's something going on, if we came together and experienced all that God had for us, oh, it'd be so fun. It'd be awesome. Jesus says, follow me. He literally means follow me. And he also means do life the way I do it. Then Jesus shifts and gives us one final possibility. He imagines walking with someone to court. Verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not go out, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus shifts from a brother now to just a general accuser. Someone has something against you. It's never too late to make friends. Never. If we choose not to be reconciled, then we're going to suffer the consequences of some kind. In this passage, it talks about prison. And that's a real possibility. But there's a lot of different types of prisons. Could be the prison of loneliness. Could be a prison of distrust, of fear, anxiousness, or doubt. And you have the opportunity to be freed from that by being reconciled to someone. It doesn't always mean full restoration, but it does mean to be reconciled. So wrapping up, four points as we wrap up. One, obedience through actions is good. It's good. But if you're measuring your Christian life based upon checking boxes of what you do or don't do, it's not going to be very meaningful to you. Eventually, it's going to just be a set of rules and it's going to lose your passion. 
The second thing, heart obedience is what Jesus calls us to. Why does he start with anger? Because anger is an everyday thing and is the result of not getting what I want. When we think about Jesus' kingdom coming into effect, it's about what God wants, not about what we want. Anger is a natural result. And then halakha is what Jesus calls us to. Godliness is from the inside out. We know that, but we don't always ride the bike that way. So what are you doing inside? And the final thing with the exclamation point, I think this is just is critical. It's asking the question, with what are you opposing God? See, the second definition of Webster for the word reconcile, it was to be made right in relationship with someone. The second definition of reconcile is to stop opposing something. Stop opposing something. I think there's a lot of ways that you and I tend to oppose God. We think we know better. We think, well, I can't forgive them because you, you don't know what they did to me. Well, I'd have a devotional time. I'd spend time with you, Lord, but I'm really busy. Man, I'm busy. Kind of comes to the illustration of God, and he creates little Mark, and he puts him down on the earth, and he says, Mark, you can enjoy all of creation. If your name is Mark, I'm sorry. But you can enjoy all of creation, but there's one thing I don't want you to do, and that is do not throw rocks in that pond over there. And Mark looks up at God, <laughs> That's not going to be tough. Look at all the fun things I can do. Rock, whatever. And after a couple of days, Mark goes, you know, man, I wonder why he said don't throw rocks in the pond. You ever do that with God's guidelines? I wonder why he said no. It looks so fun. It looks so fulfilling, right? And Mark looks and he goes, I bet that's fun. So he picks up a rock and he throws it into the pond and it splashes, and there's this ripple that goes all the way across the pond. He's like, whoa, that was incredible. This ripple, and wow, wow. And God comes back up over the hill, picks up little Mark, and goes, hey, Mark, I thought I told you don't throw rocks in the pond. And Mark looks and goes, oh, really sorry about that one. Um, I will never do that again. Never promise. So God says, okay, well, enjoy all of creation. Mark, deal. Well, it's not long, and Mark throws another rock. It actually happens seven times, and on the seventh time, God picks up little Mark, and he goes, hey, this is seven times. I told you not to do it, and you didn't trust me. You just did your own thing, and I'm kind of concerned about that. And little Mark looks up to God and basically says, I don't need you. I can do whatever I want. I'm busy. I'm not going to spend time with you. You don't know what that person does. I'm not going to forgive them. Just leave me alone. Now, I don't know if I were God, what I'd be tempted to do. What would you do? Little Marky, shaking his fist at me. And here he is. I'd be tempted to say, oh, you know, Mark, you've got a good point. High five. <laughs> Oops. Wouldn't you be tempted? Or am I just the only t t terrible person in this room? 
But you know, that's what we do. If we keep the right perspective, seriously, we're going to look up at God and say, I think I have a better idea. I'm busy. I'm not going to spend time with you. I'm not going to forgive that person. I didn't murder somebody, so what if I hated them? Nobody knows that I hated them. I didn't tell anybody I hated them. And God goes, I know your heart. And that's what I'm after. Full commitment. Ride a different bike, a different way to ride the bike. And you're going to so enjoy it. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. There's a different way to ride the bike, and this bike that you're leading us to brings so much more satisfaction and purpose than riding just a basic bike ever could. And yet, Lord, we still oppose you in some ways. And I don't, when, it's just convicting to me, too, because there's things in my life, too, that I let in. I just think, why? Why do I do that? But Lord, I thank you that you stand with your arms open wide. And the song that we're about to sing really says it so well that you've got a great plan for us, and yet we're not obedient to follow because we're checking off boxes instead of really changing our heart. And the words of the song are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for that great gift through Jesus. May we come to you, may we be honest, may we give you our hearts. And then Lord, in the next few weeks as we learn more about what you say to us versus some of the things, the basics maybe of scripture and obedience. And when you say, but I say to you, may we pay attention and may we be obedient to that. May we give you truly our hearts and then we'll experience what that abundant life is all about that you offer. Thank you that you love us. Pray for Seth and Ken. You'd help them to feel well quickly. And thank you for each person in this room, in the different venues and at home. Bless and encourage each one as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.